Well, um, we started this uh, brand new series, Where's God, uh, last week. And basically, uh, in this series, we're talking about this universal frustration that every one of us in this room who has some kind of a belief in God has at some point in our life. It's like there are times in all of our lives where we just feel like God's silent, he doesn't act, or he's forgotten us. And one of the things that makes this just so challenging is when you're in the midst of one of those seasons and and you're praying prayers like, God, give me a job. God, get me a better job. God, give me a wife. Give us kids. Give me more money. Give me some friends. God, please take away this pain. Would you heal this depression? Praying those prayers. And you look around and everyone else just seems fine. It's even worse when you look at people around you who don't even believe in God and they're not facing any of the problems that you are and here you are praying your heart out and it's not even as though you're being excessive or extravagant in your requests but nothing ever seems to change and you're thinking why wouldn't God do this for me? Can't I see how much of a difference this one thing would make in my life? It's just one simple request. Why doesn't God act? And if you stay in a season like that for long enough, you can start to have doubts about God. Not just about the character of God or whether or not God loves you, but you can begin to wonder even if there's a God at all. Because if there was a God and if he really loved me, then he wouldn't just leave me in this pain, or in this job, or in this marriage, or with this relational problem, or with this financial difficulty. So before we jump into today's text, I want to just make a statement about that way of thinking. Because for some of you, if you don't manage to get over that one hurdle, it's going to be very hard to follow anything else I say today. The statement is simply this, God's lack of cooperation in your life is not an argument for or against his existence. God's lack of cooperation is not an argument for or against his existence. Now this is a big deal, because emotionally this does seem like an argument. It's like, because of how I feel, and because it's been so long, and because God doesn't seem to be acting, it's hard not to then make that emotional leap to concluding that there is no God. But there is no rational correlation or link between whether or not God cooperates with your wishes and whether or not God actually exists. I mean, if a lack of cooperation was proof that someone didn't exist, then there'd be whole weeks in my life where I wouldn't be sure if my children existed. If a lack of cooperation was proof that someone didn't exist, there would be times when my kids would just be wandering around the house going, there is no dad. There is no dad. There is no dad. You see, a lack of cooperation... A refusal to act doesn't prove that someone doesn't exist. But when you're in the midst of a season where God isn't doing what you're asking him to do, it is easy to assume that. 
It's easy to assume that there is no God. Or maybe it was a little different for you. Maybe you grew up in a church which taught that if you just have enough faith, God will come through for you. Or maybe it was if you give more money, or if you serve more, or if you remove all the sin in your life, then God will come through and answer all of your prayers. And you have been praying and believing, and serving, and giving, and giving some more, and repenting, and still God hasn't given you what you've been asking for. And so you're kind of looking in the mirror going, what's wrong with me? We kind of end up assuming maybe it's our fault. Now, one of the reasons why we're doing this series over these three weeks is because throughout the Bible... There are all of these men and women who God obviously loved, but if you were to drop into certain chapters of their life, you would assume about them what is often very easy to assume about you. That God's silent. That God doesn't act. That God's forgotten them. And so, one of the things I'm hoping to do in this series is create a brand new category for some of you that you begin to see that it is possible to be loved by God and yet at the same time still go through seasons where he's silent, where he doesn't act, and where it appears as though he's forgotten you. And it's not a reflection of your faith. It's not a reflection of your obedience. It's not necessarily a reflection of what God thinks of you. It's just the way life is sometimes. So if you remember, last week... We kicked off by looking at the life of John the Baptist. This time, we're going to be looking at the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, if you're not familiar with his story, Paul had been a fervent persecutor of the church until God dramatically intervened and very much turned his life upside down. At a time when Paul was intent on wiping Christianity off the face of the earth, God powerfully met him and then commissioned him to take the Christian message to the very ends of the earth. And Paul spent pretty much the next 20 years of his life travelling into often very hostile environments, introducing people to Jesus and starting brand new churches. Along the way, he was shipwrecked, He was beaten up, he was stoned, he was imprisoned, he was bitten by a deadly snake on one occasion, he endured all manner of hardship. But through all of this, he did nothing but serve God faithfully. Now very soon, after becoming a follower of Jesus, Paul was afflicted by some kind of an ailment. It was such a big deal to him that it became an obstacle to him doing the very thing that God had called him to do. And so he did exactly what we would do. Paul began to ask God to remove it from him. And God told him, no. He said, God, he said, Paul, I I don't really mind how much faith you have. It's not an issue of how long you pray or how much you serve. The answer is still no. Now, if there was ever anyone who could have bargained with God, you know how we do. God, I've been to church three weeks in a row now. 
Uh, and God, if, if, if I pray for five minutes every day, will you then do this? Or God, if I do this thing or if I don't do that thing, God, I, I've proved myself to you. Now you can prove yourself to me and do what I'm asking. Anyone could have bargained with God. Surely it was Paul. I mean, Paul wrote letters to the churches he started. They make up over half the New Testament. And yet God said no to him. Now let me tell you, if we just stop the message right there, this should come as tremendous encouragement to all of us. Because we can conclude that God's apparent inactivity in our lives means he either doesn't know us, he's not interested in our lives, or he doesn't love us. I want you to let this sink in. One of the people used most by God in the last 2,000 years asked for something from God and God said no to him. But as we're going to see, in response to his request, God did promise him something. And what God promised the Apostle Paul, I believe he promises us as well. If you've got your Bible with you, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you haven't got a Bible, no worries, the words will appear on the screen behind me. I'm going to drop right into the middle of the passage. So let me just very quickly catch you up with the context of what's going on. The book of 2 Corinthians is really more a letter than a book. It was a letter that Paul wrote to the church in a place called Corinth. And in this letter, he's describing something of the story of his life. And in part of that story, he describes this time that that God revealed such incredible things to him to share with the rest of the church, such profound insights that God had afflicted him with something in order to keep him from growing proud. And in explaining all of this, Paul gives us an insight into why God sometimes says no to us as well. Shows us three things that God is looking to build into us. Here's the first one. God's purpose in our weakness, in our difficulty in the struggles we face, the prayers we bring to him where he says no, God's purpose is very often our humility. It's because Paul, as we're going to see, was in danger of pride that God took steps to keep him humble. Now, you've got to admit, this is an utterly strange concept in our self-saturated culture. Sounds bizarre, but God thinks humility is way more important than our comfort. Humility is more important than freedom from pain. God will allow us to go through tough times lest we think that we've risen above the need for total reliance on him. That's precisely what Paul says here. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited or proud because of these surpassingly great revelations that God had given to me, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, we don't know precisely what Paul's talking about here. 
We don't know what this thorn in the flesh actually was, but it's thought it was some kind of a physical problem that Paul just couldn't shake off. Some people think it was epilepsy. Some people think he had recurring bouts of malaria. Others think he might have had something wrong with his eyes. It was an issue with his eyesight. We just don't know. But whatever it was, whatever this thorn in the flesh really was, it tormented him. It's like when he woke up in the morning, when he travelled somewhere, when he got up to speak, every time he wrote a letter, it was this constant source of torment to him. Now again, I want you just to try and get your head around this. This is a guy who's been specifically called by God to do the most important thing anyone could be doing in that generation. And at the end of the day, Paul was incredibly successful at what he did. And yet all the time, he's being afflicted with something that is holding him back. So he does what we would do in that situation. He asks God to take it away. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I don't think that means he prayed Monday morning, Tuesday morning, skipped Wednesday because he forgot, prayed again on Thursday and then gave up. I mean, what's the point? No, no, no. I reckon he's talking about something a little more than that. I think he's probably talking about three separate periods or seasons where he pleaded with God. But each time, God says no. And the reason God gives on uh, as to why he does this is he wants to show Paul more of his grace. It's to, firstly, help him to not grow proud, to help him develop humility. Secondly, God's purpose is glorifying his grace. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to give you what you're asking for, but my grace is sufficient for you. I'm I'm not going to give it to you when you think you need it, but my grace is sufficient for you. You're going to have to go another season without any seeming change in your circumstance, but my grace is is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. In other words, it's adequate. It is more than enough for what you need. Now, I think a lot of us probably fall into the trap whenever we hear or see this word grace of just limiting it to our salvation. I think about how Jesus died for me and how through his death I'm forgiven I'm justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. I'm made righteous in God's sight. I'm right with God. The the holiness of God that we were singing about earlier is given to me through what Jesus did on the cross. That's how we understand grace. And all of that's true. But do you realise that there is an amazing amount of grace for us in addition to salvation? That Jesus did a work on the cross, and right now, he's still doing a work for us. Sitting at the right hand of the Father in glory, ready and willing to pour out more grace on us whenever we need it. That's what it says in Hebrews 4. That grace isn't just to save us, 
But there is also grace from God to help us on a daily basis. Let us then, the writer of the Hebrews says, verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Paul himself said something very similar just a few chapters earlier in this letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9, verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Most of us have experienced God's grace, have experienced his grace in saving us. But do you realise that there is even more of his grace that he wants to make abound or overflow to you in any situation, at any moment during the day? And that this grace won't fail It will not let you down. It is totally sufficient for you, regardless of how big the need. This grace will equip you. His grace will empower you. This grace will make you capable to face any trial, any suffering, any inadequacy that you may be feeling or you may be facing. God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And then, here's the part of the verse that I don't like so much. Middle of verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now look, I guess if we're being honest, not many of us would sign up for this. I mean, here's our version of what this verse should say. We'd quite like God to glorify his grace by giving us exactly what we want. We want God's power to be made perfect in our success. We want to be the person who's scored the winning goal in the cup final, or has just won Olympic gold, or has made it onto the Times Rich list, or has just won Salesperson of the Year, so that we can then give all the glory to God. We don't want God to leverage our weakness for his glory. We want God to leverage his glory out of our talent, and success, out of our strength, out of all of our accomplishments. I mean, we want God to get glory from us, but not through our weaknesses. If God would only make me more successful, make my life much more smooth, then I'd be very, very quick to give him all the glory. I'm like you. I love it when famous people stand up and give all the credit to God. And I want to be one of them too. God, put me in the spotlight. Leverage my success for you. And God does that sometimes. But other times he goes, no, I'm not going to leverage your skills, your talents, your accomplishments. On this particular occasion, I'm going to leverage your weakness, your inability, your lack of opportunity. What some people would consider your failure. I'm going to somehow get glory from you, but I'm going to do it on the stage of your weakness. Now, we don't get to choose, because I think it's probably fair to say none of us would choose the path of weakness. But isn't it true that when you meet another Christian 
who has a life circumstance that just makes you shudder. And you walk away from the contact with them thinking, I don't know how I would deal with that. I, I don't know how I'd manage if that happened to me. And you scratch beneath the surface and you find that God has given them phenomenal peace. And you hear them say, his grace is sufficient for me. Aren't those people some of the most impressive individuals that you have ever met? As much as I love seeing Kaka revealing an I belong to Jesus t-shirt when he scores a goal, or an Oscar winner dedicating the award to God, the people who move me or touch me the most The people whose stories encourage me the most are those who are demonstrating God's strength in and through their weakness. So here's a heads up, if it's in your future. Or here's some kind of an explanation, if it's in your past. Or here's some comfort for you, if it's actually in your current situation. God will... God has and God is going to showcase his strength in our weakness if we will learn to take no for an answer. And the fact that he says no in no way draws into question his love for you, his compassion for you, or his care for you. In fact, quite the opposite. Very often, God doesn't want to deliver us from our weakness. He wants to step into our weakness. And those times when you feel like you just can't keep on going, do you realise that in many respects that is the perfect place to be? I mean, now you can experience God like you've perhaps never experienced him before. Because up until this point, Maybe you've been trying to do everything that you can in your own strength. And now that you're beginning to come to the end of yourself, God can provide for you. God can begin to be your sufficiency. And the reason I think some of us can hear all of this, and we're not going hallelujah and applauding and saying, bring it on. I I don't see a whole lot of excitement right now. The reason we can hear this and not be excited is, that if we're honest, I think a lot of us most of the time prefer being our own saviour. I love having the solutions. I love being able to fix everything. I love solving all of the problems. But sometimes God puts me on my face and says, look, you can't. Jonathan, I I know you think you can, but you can't. And in those moments where I finally realise that I'm unable that's when God gets an opportunity to convince me that he's able. I think so many of us, a lot of the time, experience this apathy and mediocrity in our spiritual life because we don't walk very well in weakness. Sometimes uh, I'm talking to someone, I ask how their relationship with God is, and they say, yeah, it's okay, but I look in their eyes and there's no excitement. There's no thrill. Could it be that your relationship with God, your walk with God is boring because you feel as though you don't actually need him? 
It's like, it's just an add-on to your life. God's desire is for you to experience much, 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 much more of him. I don't know. Maybe you think that if you're going to be happy, if you're going to be fulfilled, if you're going to be really content and satisfied in life, you need to get that particular grade. You need that promotion. You must have that pay rise. You need that new house. You need that new car. You must get married. You must have kids. You you need a certain size pension. But really, what you actually need is to know God more closely, more intimately, to experience much more of him in your life. That's your greatest need. And so, God will allow you at times to run up against things that you can't cope with. He will allow pain into your life. He'll let you go through difficult times, very often to highlight your need for him to draw you closer to him. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, that sounds very cruel. And it would be if that promotion, if that relationship, if that academic achievement, if that house, if that pay rise would ultimately satisfy us. But it won't. It's because we were ultimately made for relationship with God. And because there is endless potential for us to find joy in our relationship with him that allowing us to go through difficulty to enable us to experience more of him is the ultimate expression of grace the tragedy is when we go through times when it feels to us as though god isn't doing anything to rescue us And rather than allowing him to walk with us in those situations, we turn our back on him. And I don't say this lightly. And I do know it is very hard for some of us to take. But I want to appeal to you to see those situations that you are struggling with right now as an opportunity for you to experience more of God. God's purpose is glorifying his grace. Thirdly, God's purpose is also to demonstrate his power. Paul goes on, second half of verse 9, Therefore, as a result of all of this, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul's saying, do you know what I'm going to boast about? I'm going to boast about all of those areas where I'm weak. I'm going to boast about all of those areas where I can't cope by myself, because then you'll see much more of Christ in me. Well, we tend to be the complete opposite of that, don't we? What we like to do is boast about stuff we're good at. And it's strange because there's something most of us don't really like about others who boast. But we still want to boast about ourselves. We don't want to come across as boastful, but we do want people to know how great we are. And so we just casually drop stuff into conversation. You know... Five years in a row, 
I was top of my year at school. What we failed to mention is that we were homeschooled and we were an only child. I mean, it's like we boast about the most ridiculous things because that's where we find our worth. We we like talking about things that establish our identity. In many respects, boasting puts into words what our hearts cherish, what our hearts cling to, what our hearts really treasure. And Paul says, you know what? I'm going to boast in my weaknesses because in doing that, I'm expressing my need for Christ. I'm going to boast in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may then rest on me. Verse 10, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am stronger. Typically, I think what we do, or at least what I do, is I try to avoid my weaknesses. I try to defend myself against insults and hardship and persecution and difficulty. I, I flee from it. I, I plead with God to remove those things from me. Well, I think what God's saying to us is this. I want you to be like Paul. I want you to grow more comfortable with these things. You see, God wants us to be pushed further than we think we can be pushed. He wants to stretch us further than we think we can be stretched so that he can step into our life and truly be our saviour and truly be our strength so that we experience his amazing grace and power. That's what Paul started off this letter by saying. Back in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, he wrote... We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. You see, our weakness is often the only thing that forces us to rely on God. We can pitch up on Sundays and sing about how much we need God and how this is my desire to honour you. Then go away and spend the rest of the week depending on our own strength and trying to honour ourselves. So God will allow us to experience trials that bring us to the end of ourselves to highlight our need for him. But a lot of the time we don't get it. Desperation. We go to him, we rush to him, plead with him to remove the problem. So we can then go back to depending more on ourselves, which is why I think sometimes God says no. But whenever he says no, he also says yes. No, I'm not going to change your circumstances right now. No, I'm not going to fix it. No, I'm not going to overcome the laws of nature on this occasion. But in the meantime, yes. Yes, my grace and my power are sufficient for you. Several quick things. Just want to emphasize by way of wrapping up. First of all, we do have permission from God to ask him to remove our thorns. It's not a lack of faith 
to ask God to change your circumstances. I don't want you to misunderstand or mishear what I'm saying today. Pain isn't a good thing in itself. God doesn't delight in your suffering. It is okay to pray for relief. I mean, that's what Paul did on three separate occasions. We do have permission from God to ask him to remove our thorns. But the second point is this. God is at liberty to say no. It's perfectly within his rights to say no. And the fact that he says no doesn't mean he doesn't care for you. And I know it takes faith, but we need to believe that allowing us to go through tough times doesn't contradict, doesn't diminish God's love for us. Because third, God may choose to showcase his power on the stage of your weakness. In other words, it may never change. Things may not get any better. Things might not work out. But that isn't a reflection of God's interest or lack of interest in you. He, he might simply be wanting to create one of those contexts in which he's going to reveal more of his power to you and more of his power through you. But fourthly, you can't experience this. You can't experience God's sustaining grace and power while resisting his will. Now here's the rub for us. As long as you're mad at God, as long as you are bitter with God, as long as you are frustrated with God, as long as you're doubting God, you won't be benefiting from his sustaining grace. Sustaining grace starts with saying, not my will, but your will be done. Sustaining grace begins with the prayer that, if you remember, Jesus himself prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his arrest and his subsequent crucifixion, faced with the horror of carrying our sin and the punishment of his Father for our sin. Jesus prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. Father, here's what I want. Father, here's what I don't want. But now that you know all of that, Father, I also want you to know, not my will, but your will be done. And into that gap between what I want and what God has decided to do, into the gap between what I think God owes me, what I deserve, what what I'd do if I was God, and what God actually chooses to do. Into that gap, God pours his sufficient, sustaining, empowering grace. But we never experience it as long as we're resisting and arguing and shaking our fist at God. It begins when we say, Father, if this is what you've chosen for me, then not my will, but your will be done. Father, I'm trusting you for the strength, trusting you for the empowerment to help me do what I just don't have the strength to do by myself. 
Because ultimately, the deepest need that you and I have in weakness and adversity isn't quick relief. It's the well-grounded confidence that what's happening to us is part of the greatest purpose of God in the universe. The glorification of the grace and power of his son Jesus. The grace and power that bore him, that took him all the way to the cross and kept him there until the ultimate work of love was done. That same grace, that same power, which is available to us today. That's what God's building into our lives. I believe that's the reason why he doesn't always act in the way that we'd like. I want to invite you to stand and we're going to pray.